Welcome to Blue Talks. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier, and we're back with the latest edition of our show. And I'm super stoked to have with me a brand new guest, uh, somebody that's a big part of our Blue Talks community. She was a part of one of the Blue Talks books in our series. Uh, so Rhonda Reif, super excited to have you here today. And Rhonda, where we often start, even though we uh, do a more formal intro off the top, we usually get people to tell us just a little bit about their background, a little bit about who they are. And uh, so are you, are you able to tell us just a little bit about who Rhonda Reif is? I certainly can, Corey. First off, thanks for having me as a guest on your podcast. Uh, I am a holistic health practitioner, but I'm an author and a speaker, and I do training, which some people would consider coaching. I have an MBA and a master's in communication. So my friends thought that I was pretty wacko when I left the corporate world over 30 years ago to go into the holistic field, because back then it was not what it is today. So, it, you know, everybody has a story behind there with how they get into it and all of that. But that's kind of in a nutshell, uh, you know, where I am. I, I do have, I was in the volume six of the Blue Talks books. And then I also have another book that I've authored a children's book, Serena and the Butterfly in a relaxation CD. So I've been doing this for 30 years where I've been doing, you know, speaking and training and leading. So I'm really excited to be here today. Amazing. Well, Rhonda, I think where I'd like to go from there is what got you into this field? Like what got you into training, speaking, coaching? Uh, you know, that's not something that everybody does. Uh, although there's more of us these days than there used to be. It's still not something everybody does. So I'd love to figure out or, or find out what was sort of the catalyst, like what brought you in this world? So I was a corporate trainer for Baskin Robbins ice cream. Now that was my first job when I was, you know, a teenager. And then they had a contest because it coincided with the Olympics in the 1980s. So they had what they called their gold medal team. And I, they selected people from all over the world from their different stores. And you had to go through a lot of rigorous testings and mystery shoppers and stuff. So I was one of their top employees in the world. Um, in 1980. And then they sent us on this trip and there was leadership training and all of that. Well, that led then to when I got out of college, I got a job being a corporate trainer and a district manager for Baskin Robbins ice cream. So I would go into a store. If you were going to buy a new store, Corey, I would go in and I would actually take up camp there for at least three weeks to a month after you'd been to Baskin Robbins University. And I would work side by side with you. And I would teach you everything from cleaning the grout in your floor to unloading the ice cream semi to actually doing the marketing, the perfect banana split, you know, all of those things. And I loved my job. I mean, I just figured I'd do it for 31 years and then retire somewhere, right? So, um, but I worked myself to death. The, the doctor said I did to my, my body what driving a car without oil to the engine would do. And so I developed paralysis in my right arm and I couldn't even use my arm. I couldn't move it. I couldn't do anything with it because I was scooping so much and everything because none of the other people wanted to actually go into the stores and work. So the other district managers and I loved it. And so I had 38 stores I was responsible for, but I was in a three state area and also 250 stores of dessert creation where I would do training. So, you know, I've been kind of like a little trainer and speaking and was involved in speech and stuff in high school and college. But um, so that segued very nicely when I, you know, left that. But I, 
I happened to go back and was working on my master's degree and I met these people that did massage and they were in their 70s. And I didn't tell them I had problems with my arm. I just went because it was finals week and I'd never had one before. And again, this is rural Midwest 1980s. And so it was unheard of. And she said, I think I can help you. Now I'd suffered for years with this pain and nerve damage. And within two weeks, I had 90% usage of my arm back because I went every other day for two weeks and made a believer out of me. So then the job market sucked. And, and so everybody's like, well, you can do this. You're really good at this. Cause I started going to trainings and stuff with them. Well, here I am over 30 some years later, still looking for the real job, you know? Um, but you know, I, I love doing the holistic stuff, but I'm a trainer at heart. That's, you know, where my passion lies in doing that too. And, and I still was teaching business classes and stuff for a university, but that's kind of my story is that, you know, and, and that's what my children's book is about, is about, you know, believing what seems impossible really is possible because every doctor I went to, every person I saw, they're like, you'll never get usage of that arm back. And, you know, it was something as simple as this lady in her seventies, you know, working on me every other day for two weeks. Now that didn't get me the full back, you know, I did other things on top of that years later. So, but it's like a, the holistic field is like, like kids in a candy store. Once you experience a little bit of it, you're like, oh, I want to learn this and I want to learn this and I want to experience this and oh, I want to try that. And, you know, the more woo it gets, the more like fun it is. So that's kind of my, my story about how it started me down this path. And, and, you know, every time I try to leave Corey, I tell everybody, I feel like a whack-a-mole, like the universe is like, no, no, you're supposed to do this. No, you're supposed to teach that. And so here I am doing those things. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's amazing. And I, I love, uh, you know, I know the term for it, I believe in the hero world or the Marvel world is origin stories. So I love origin stories, like how people got their start. And, uh, and, and everyone is so unique. Like, again, I, you know, I would never guess uh, if, if you said, sat here and said, Rhonda, uh, if you said to me, Corey, I need you to guess how I got into this this industry. I would never think from working at Baskin Robbins, scooping ice cream, hurting your arm, and then finding sort of a, a solution for what you were told there wouldn't be a solution for. Like, I would never pick that path. And so I guess um, what I'm curious about as well is if you think back through the years of training people, working with people, coaching with people, one of the things I am always fascinated by is what sort of makes people tick why would people get stuck in certain areas why people succeed in in different areas and so are you able to think of any maybe common traits that you've seen that people have that allow them to succeed or common mistakes that people make that hold them back well right off the top of my head one of them is <clears throat> i find that if people don't follow their intuition that they have that and you know in the mba world they don't call it intuition they call it executive uh instinct or, you know, reaction, but it, it's there. If you don't follow your in intuition, then, you know, it usually ends up blowing up on you later. Then I'm really into the fact that we all communicate differently. And I think that once you learn how you're going to communicate with people, then that also makes a difference with that. So like, for instance, if I was working with one particular student or one particular client, if I were talking about things that were foreign to them, they're not going to grasp it. And so you have to learn how to, you know, communicate with them. And, and it's some of the weird things I look at is birth order. I look at the Zodiac sign. I look at their name because that's kind of my little shtick too, is like, you know, what are the letters of your name? Because that has a lot to do with how we're persuaded and influenced and, you know, do those kinds of things. And then once you learn that that is sort of 
that's the best way to speak with them, then you can help them sort of motivate them. Because like, for example, um, in the corporate world, predominantly male oriented, at least when I got into it in the eighties, everything was money. They thought money, 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 money. Well, I'm not somebody who's necessarily motivated by money. I'm not saying I don't like to have money, but money's not the thing that really motivates me. So I'm the kind of person like I like to have flex time. And of course this was 30 years ago when it was unheard of. So I'd be somebody that could really work really hard as long as you're like, yeah, you know what? You can take an extra long lunch hour. So until we learn what actually is the is the carrot or the catalyst to help that person achieve their goals, it's going to seem unattainable. Mm, I love that. And I guess uh, on that side is how do we now I'll, I'll just curiosity, I'm thinking of it more from the leader perspective now, but how do you feel we fix that? Like, so if we're the leader, is it a matter of finally starting to take the time to find out what motivates that person versus just trying to motivate everybody in a blanket way? Like, is that, is that the, I guess, the first step in that direction? Um, it depends upon if there's an issue that's going on. What I try to do when I actually teach my workshops or classes or whatever, if it's a group setting, not a one-on-one -on -one thing, I try to use words or verbiage that is going to encompass all of those things. Just like there's different learners, kinesthetic, visual, and hearing, you wouldn't just say, okay, do you see what I mean when I put something on the board? You would say, do you see what I mean? And then you would follow up with, okay, does everybody hear what I'm saying? And now then you would follow up with something with to say like, okay, does everybody sort of get that feeling? Like you understand what's going on. And, you know, you believe in the rule of three. Of course, the rule of three is marketing. So teaching is the same way. And coaching and leading and all of that is that rule of three. So you can present the same information, but do it in three different ways. And then just know that not everybody is going to be motivated by, you know, the firstborn things, which is the achievement and the, and the awards and all of that. They're going to be the lastborns are going to be want to be rewarded with a pizza party. So you want to kind of mix it up. And I like to, you know, do that. It's the same thing when I teach some of the holistic classes. You want to talk about all of the elements because if somebody is a water sign or they're a fire sign, I could say, well, do you understand how to turn the heat up on this? But if they're a water sign, that's going to like, they're not going to, it's like speaking a foreign language. So that's what I do. And I challenge people. And when I do communication classes and stuff, learn to use more than just the word of what you're familiar with and try to encompass all of those different things. And that way, then you're sort of at least having a wider net. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely does. I love that. And I'm going to switch gears slightly then, Rhonda. I, I want to ask you about a word I'll call a really big word, uh, but I'm, I'm fascinated by this word for various reasons, more so for people's answers than actually the word or the theme itself. Uh, but what when I bring up the word legacy, what does it mean to you? <laughs> legacy is what you sort of leave behind, what you create that you leave behind. And... Um, it's interesting because just over the weekend in the boot camp, there was a lady who kept calling her bears that she made legacy bears, legacy bears. <clears throat> and I never really thought of legacy as something that you created for someone after they had died. I always thought of legacy as, you know, sort of like um, uh, Yellowstone where he wants to leave the legacy of his ranch to his heirs. So, so yeah, so it kind of opened my eyes to a different form of what legacy is. So I think really legacy is what you're going to be remembered for. Mm. Now, how about uh, what I'll ask is uh, the other side. How about, um, so I've, I've heard people, just to give you some context, I've heard people say that legacy to them is something that you create intentionally, meaning like every day you think about what do I want my legacy to be? And then other people say 
I'm just going to live in the way that I feel is the right way and the legacy will create itself. I'm curious if you sit on either sides of those fences. I probably would do some of both. And I really think that's where birth order comes in, honestly, because I think that the firstborns are the only children's are going to be the ones who are going to try to create and do and achieve and all of that. And then the people that are more the lastborns are going to be um, where they're going to kind of just sit back and case sera, sera, like whatever happens, happens. Now I am a firstborn child, but there's enough years difference between me that made me like an only or last born child. So I have a little bit of both of that. And I've worked a lot to try to do that whole balance of not being so, you know, struck and all of that too. But I think it kind of depends upon also what your parents thought it was, you know, what was the influence of other people in, and I think we kind of get ingrained with that at, at a young age too of, you know, what, what is it that I'm going to leave behind? Is it just heirs or is it a building with my name on it? Or is it this book that I'm going to write that they'll still be reading, you know, 50 years from now? Oh, I love that. And I, so I, since legacy is one word that I think a lot of people have different opinions on, I'm going to throw another word out there that a lot of people have different opinions on, uh, which is the word success. So another big word, another word, like I ask that question often and I get so many different answers. So I'd love to ask you, what does this word success mean to you? Success to me has to be more than just what you accomplish financially, because I'm not saying that, that that's how we as a society measure success. But it's unfortunate because we have to look at all of the other things. You know, what are all of the lives that we've touched? Who are the things, you know, like... Uh, you know, I wrote a series of articles for a while for a Living Well magazine, and I just wrote them on holistic health. Years later, I didn't even know that they subscribed to that magazine at a prison. Years later, I happened to meet somebody, and he's like, oh, I read all my art your articles when I was in prison. And I'm like, what? And they had this thing, and he goes, yeah, you're the holistic lady. And I, so you don't know. Like, you know, that was something I just wrote for enjoyment. But, you know, is that success? Because he said it really helped him then to understand things with addiction and how there's other things going on. And I don't want to get into the whole story. But but so to me, like that's success, too. Like success isn't always something that you even know you've accomplished. Mm. I love that because, uh, you know, at, at our boot camp, I always mention uh, the words invisible impact. And it's because uh, Shelly and I, my partner, when we drove across uh, North America a number of years ago, we created this thing we called the Invisible Impact and we were planning to launch the Invisible Impact Foundation. But the idea was creating these ripples that you don't even see the effects of. And so what, like, part of what that meant is when we were traveling across the country, we got all this stuff made up like uh, cards that said smiles are free, pass them forward today and stuff like that. And we'd leave them in a bathroom. And so you don't know, like right at the counter and you don't know who's going to see that. It might be one person and they might throw the rest out. It might be people all day grabbing them, but we don't know what kind of ripple that created for anybody. And that was the whole idea. And to your point, um, in, a, in a perfect world, if we're living the way that I think uh, we'll call it on purpose for us, then we are creating that ripple, whether we ever experience or see the the totality of that or not, probably not, probably none of us do. You know, I like I, I was uh, I talk often about the late Zig Ziglar and I've heard the numbers that we say that he's impacted 100 million lives. That's kind of the numbers they they factor. Well, I'm going to say no matter what the number is, if they say 100 million, it's probably 150. 
Because what about all those separate impacts that somebody he impacted impacted somebody else because of something he said? And so I so I love that you say that around success. I've never thought of it that way before. And then the third word, because I don't do this often, um, but uh, you know, I, I'm for whatever reason today it struck me to do this. But the third word, because I used to do this often, is uh, purpose. So what is, and actually, in fact, I'll throw this in Rhonda, what does passion and purpose mean to you? Are they the same thing? Uh, and either way, do you think it's important for a person to find their passion or their purpose? I think, and I was thinking about this the other day, I think that your purpose will find you. I think that if you get out of your way and you follow the intuition and look for those synchronicities, I think the purpose will, will follow you. Now, do I think that that's necessarily something you'll originally be passionate about? No, you might, you know, be kicking and fighting like me, like, no, I'm supposed to be an MBA being a CEO somewhere. I'm not supposed to be, you know, sitting here doing holistic medicine. And, and so I think that that has a lot to do with it. Do I think that they're the same? I think that if you can, find passion in anything that you do, it will give you purpose. And I also think that if you can find passion in your purpose, then it's going to be more joyful. So I think that you can be passionate about a lot of things, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's your, your purpose, your life purpose, or what your purpose is supposed to be. Because, you know, sometimes our purpose isn't necessarily an easy path to follow. So uh, for me, I love that because you kind of described it the way that I view it, not to say that, you know, that my way of viewing it is correct or not, but uh, I always say passion's what you do and purpose is why you're doing it. And, and then further to that, the passion. So what you do could be anything, right? Photography, playing music, uh, stand-up comedy, teaching, uh, coaching. And then uh, the purpose is like I say, the why. So it's like, what do you get from doing it? And what does it do for the world and all that kind of stuff? But to your point, because I view it that way, I, I know there's lots of people that'll have 50 passions in their life, uh, but usually only a small number of purposes. Like I know people that have moved through different passions. Like for me, it could be stand-up comedy, music, and then speaking. I can move through all three of those and still be delivering on the same purpose, which could be to create a positive ripple in the world, as we were talking about earlier. Or it could be to bring a smile to someone's face and allow them to escape their life. All three of those things do that. And so, yeah. So, I mean, I think your purpose, like you said, probably doesn't change as often. But at the same time, I, I've i always felt that the, finding your passion is the gateway to finding your purpose. Like, I think once yes. when you start finding passions and try those, eventually your purpose, of, like you said, finds you. That's, I feel the same way. Great. So, so I'm happy that you shared that. Uh, so, <laughs> so I have another question I want to ask you that we, uh, this one here, I, I, um, I've asked a lot of times in my life, not as much lately, but a lot of times in my life, I call it the time machine question. And it's basically like it sounds. So it's simply this, if you could jump into a time machine and go back and talk to a younger version of yourself, Rhonda, and give her some life advice based on what you've learned in the year since, what do you think you might tell a younger Rhonda? Well, the first thing would be to stop doubting herself and to follow that intuition. Because every time, like I said, every time I don't follow the intuition, it blows up on me. But our society makes us sort of doubt that, you know, like we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to look at what's the bottom line, what's the numbers say, you know, what are those things? Um, you know, and then my short answer would be like, you know what? <laughs> 
move to the beach, get the convertible and, you know, live the, live the life that you would really like to do. Don't wait until you're older because you're never going to do it. And, you know, so it would be like, take that job offer that's coming in a few years that you turn down and move to the beach because it will, I, I still think that your, your purpose and your passion would find you, you know, might've even found me quicker. So, you know, that, that'd be the short thing that I would say specifically do this. I think it'd be pivotal. But again, it was because I didn't follow my intuition. I followed, you know, what's society thought that I should be doing. And you know what, at the end of your life, it's not about who else have you pleased. It's about how well have you enjoyed what you've, what you've shared or learned or, you know, provided to other people. So, yeah, so I definitely be living at the beach. (laughs) (laughs) So so that brings up a good follow-up then. Would you get in the time machine? Do you think you would get in it if you had that chance? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would. Yeah. I'm, I'm always just curious because some people say, no, I wouldn't step in. And the other people say I would dive in. Um, what's uh, J- Dr. Joe Vitale we had on the show one time and he's fascinated by time machines. He said, oh my gosh, I, I, I'd have to. He said, I'm like, I'm trying to make one. <laughs> like he, like he, It's just wild how, you know, you could have one person on. It's like, oh my gosh, I would like, I would carpet it. I would make it. I, I would do everything I could. I'd build it if I had to. And then other people are like, I wouldn't go near it. So it's, it's fa- like, again, I get fascinated by the different answers to the same question. Uh, so one uh, similar question, it's a little different in terms of the context of it, but I call it the passenger question. It's my one other question that I ask commonly. And it's simply this, uh, if you were on a plane, sitting next to a stranger and they leaned over and asked you for some life advice. Uh, you know, can you help me out? I got this problem or, uh, Hey, you know, I need some help. What do you got? Just life advice in general to a stranger. So the difference of course, is it's not younger Rhonda. It's a stranger. Uh, what do you think you might tell uh, that stranger? Well, I guess it would depend upon what their problem is, how I would approach it, but I would definitely tell them to, listen to their, their inner self, but also they um, should look for synchronicities because the answers are going to come to them. They may need to get quiet. They may need to, you know, go somewhere by themselves. You know, they may need to journal, whatever that is. But if they were to start actually just getting quiet, the synchronicities and the answers were going to come to them. Now, depending upon what it is, I could probably give something more specific but definitely it's about, you know, like what, what does your heart say? You know, if they were trying to make a decision, you know, one of the favorite things that I've been told in the past and it works like a charm is if you're trying to make a decision and you can't decide whether it's between, you know, two different houses or two different jobs or, you know, whatever it is you're going to do is get three coins and roll the coins three times, you know, put them in your hand, all three at once and roll the coins. And, you know, determine heads means this and tails means this and see how it comes out. And at the end of the third toss, what's your immediate, immediate reaction? Is it good? Or it's like, oh, I want to roll again. There's your answer. The answer wasn't in the coin toss. The answer is what was at the end of the coin toss? So that kind of, that's something that I've helped people that if they're really struggling with a this or a that, I mean, it only works with like a yes or a no, or choosing between a couple of different um, solutions, that that is one that, that will really tell you what is it that your soul is telling you? What is it that that's, you know, that your soul is wanting you to, to, to follow? So, I, I mean, I love that because, I, well, I don't know why it made me think of this, but there's an episode of Friends where uh, Phoebe on Friends says to them, like they want to know what the right answer is. Uh, basically, 
when people ask you questions successively, like a bunch of questions in a row, just uh, start like answering questions like what's your name and, and is this your name and all that stuff and do that. And when you get to the third or fourth one, the person speeds up and they, they want you to just answer right away, not think about your answer. And that's usually what comes out is the thing that like, for example, I, I think in the episode, Ross was saying he was a metaphobia and she said, I think you are. And he goes, I can't see why I would be. And she said, well, let's try this. And she had already showed it to somebody else earlier in the game. And then she asked him whatever questions. And then the fourth one was like, why are you mad at me? It's because you did this. And like, it was like, anyway, so it's the same kind of thing, right? It's like, what's your gut reaction without you having time to think about what you should answer because society feels that would be the right answer. So I just love that exercise is what I'm saying. And that's what it made me think. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, so my final official question uh, is simply <laughs> if, uh, uh, or sorry, not if, um, are you a reader? And then the if you are is, uh, do you have a book that's changed your life that you could share with us? Yes. Okay. I'm a reader, but I'm, because I love education, I've been like a lifelong student, a lifelong learner. Almost everything in my life has been anything that applies to like learning, like textbooks or books about this particular modality, except our favorite author, James Redfield, uh, The Celestine Prophecy. That was absolutely the life-changing book for me. It is the, probably the only uh, thing that I don't even know that it was really fiction, but I would have to say like the only novels that I've read, I've read all of the things and, and uh, yeah, so definitely life-changing on many levels, just because it was kind of at the beginning of my holistic practice. And even though I was familiar with a lot of metaphysical things, it was really a, a unique way, you know, like the very first time that I could really see auras was after reading, you know, that, that chapter in, um, you know, Redfield's book. I love the control dramas like that has really made a difference. And, you know, like I said, I've read them all. I've met him several times. I heard him speak. And then, you know, like that's how I met you, Corey. Like, I don't know if you remember me telling you that, that, that um, I was, you know, looking for some purpose after my dad was sick and then he passed away and I just couldn't, you know, get motivated, but I had met James at one of his workshops and he said, here, sign up for our newsletter. And of course, you know, back then the newsletters weren't like they are today. And so I did that. And then it started coming. Like there was, they were looking for people to do marketing, volunteers, marketing, and there was all these different options and everything. And I was like, and I put it off for a really long time. And finally, I just couldn't handle it any longer. It was this gut punch, you know, like, I'm like, okay, if that marketing thing is still left out of the 20 some things that were there, you know, months ago, I'm going to apply for it. And so I did, and it was a pretty lengthy process and all of that. And it was just, it was like, um, I knew when they wanted me to take this Enneagram test about your numbers, like I knew that this was a sign and all of this. And so then, yeah, they did pick me. And so I've had conversations with James and he said, you know, I think that there's this guy that you would really connect with. And his name is Corey Poirier. And he's like, he's like, you know, here, like, you know, why don't you look him up. And so I did. And then I got on your newsletter and then poof, this opportunity came to be in the blue talks book and all of this kind of stuff. And so it's amazing how things come full circle, you know, but again, the synchronicity, like, like we always knew that they were there, but his, I just can't say enough about his stuff, you know, like it just was absolutely life-changing. And I, you know, and, and also from a marketing point of view, cause you know, I taught marketing classes for colleges. So I would use his story about how he was self-published back when nobody even had a personal computer, you know, and he just went ahead and gave out copies of his book and all of a sudden publishers are calling him. And so I used it as like in a unique marketing thing too. So I love it when those kind of worlds combine that whole, you know, MBA part of me with the whole holistic kind of, you know, woo-woo part of me. And 
I've been told that's kind of one of my gifts where I can kind of bridge the two, but definitely anything James Redfield, but Celestine Prophecy was the start and, and I, I've given it as gifts and, you know, just can't tell enough people to read it. And I'm surprised there's still people that haven't read it, but uh, yeah. So, so here we are, you yeah. know, <laughs> that, well, that is amazing. I did not know that synchronicity story, which is blows my mind right now. And, uh, and one of the things you said, which I talk about often is the fact that, what's really wild about how James put that book out is there was an intentional marketing approach to it. You know, whether it was like um, a planned out strategy or whether it just made the most sense from a marketing point of view, what I love is that even though he teaches synchronicity, there's still an action involved. You know, as you said, him and his wife driving around and handing out copies at all the different bookstores, there, that was an action that he took. And really not much different than somebody would do today if they sent in their books to podcasters for free. You know, they don't, the big difference in, in James's case was your, they, he was gifting them to the book owner, bookstore owner. And of course, you walk in after the bookstore owner read this book they fell in love with, and they're going to put it right in the front. And, you know, there's, there's an extra element to why that worked really well. But the other thing he did, which you're probably familiar with, is he had a, a reading group, like a focus group, and a certain amount of people that committed to read the book. And he wanted to know, tell me whenever you put the book down, because he was trying to figure out what was wrong on that page that he needed to change. What I love about that whole story is, again, it wasn't just like the universe said, I'm going to pick this book and put it at this level. Part of that was it probably. But the other part was the actions that James took. So I, I just love that there's a fact that there's an action part of it as well. Yes. So I love that you brought that up. Because again, I don't think a lot of people know that. I've had many people say, you know, I love his book on synchronicity and how everything just falls into place. So I'm just going to write my book and then somebody will discover it. And that could happen. But you're, you know, you're, you're, I'm going to say removing at least 50% of your chances of being discovered by just writing a book and putting it on your shelf and never telling anybody, you know, right. so your odds go down dramatically. If the universe is con uh, conspiring to help you anyway, and you take action, you just increase. Yeah. Your odds. So I just, I just love that you brought that up. Um, the last thing I want to ask you, I said that was the last official question, the unofficial question, but maybe the most important, Rhonda, is for those that want to learn more, uh, follow you, follow you more, learn about the work that you do, all that kind of good stuff. Is there a hub or is there a place you would send them? Yes, they can go to RhondaRife.com. And from there, you can reach my LinkedIn profile, my Facebook uh, profile, you know, for my professional page. Uh, you can email me, you can sign up for the newsletter. There's a little bit of history there. And, and I've got some other websites too, but the RhondaRife.com and it is R-E-I-F. Uh, everybody wants to, you know, that it doesn't sound like it spells. So, um, but yeah, it's an unusual name. I don't think there's another one out there if you could try to Google it, even if you spelled it a little bit wrong. But yeah, that's the, that's probably the best way. My phone number's on there, the email's on there, you know, all of those things that that would just be the absolute easiest way, I think, to get that. And um, I do tend to be more responsive on Facebook than LinkedIn, but it doesn't matter because if you message me either way, I do get that, so. Amazing. I love it. Well, Rhonda Rife, this has been an absolute pleasure. I knew it would be. Uh, I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. And um, and we're going to do what we can, of course, to wave the flag for all the great things you're doing. So thank you so much for joining us on the episode today. Thank you, Corey.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.